is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. It was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. episode of She is Liberated is Jill Herman, one of our dear soul sisters and kind of podcast royalty. So Michelle and I are feeling nervous, but you guys, her podcast and her way that she lives and breathes and walks in the world is completely herself. And when I say you're going to learn something from this podcast, I mean it. So welcome, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited that the two of you have a podcast. We've been talking about it for a while and your voices deserve to be heard far and wide. Oh my gosh, look at that puppy. (laughs) I have a puppy, a cavalier, and she's a little bit needy. So she just decided to join the podcast. If you're watching the video, you'll see her. Oh, she's so cute. Okay. Well, everybody, and thanks for all... Yeah. We're so excited to have Jill. Um, like, Have you ever met those people where you just instantly feel like a soul sister with them? Like, That's Jill for us. We just immediately bonded the first time we worked together closely. Like, We worked in the same company with the same company for years. But then when we got to know each other, we connected on a soul level, like almost immediately. Like Before this started, we were kind of saying, we were saying that we're kind of like sisters. It is. I agree. It's like, because we don't do surface level. I think as soon as we met, it was like, let's go deep into the real shit. And that's how we all roll. And that's why a deep friendship was born almost immediately. I totally agree. I've talked to people about the fact that you can have that connection with someone that you meet on Instagram. Like I have a friend I met through Instagram and we went deep so fast. It's almost like dog years compared to human years. You know, when you have a deep, uh, you know, when you think deep and you feel deep and you talk deeply, um, the friendship is like, you know, seven years to one. Oh, totally. Or in one month, I can do what I would with someone else in in years. And so, but I need to give both of you credit for something. And I know you know this because I told you, but I want your audience to hear this, that the reason we went deep quickly was I was open to that and I was like ready for that, but yet I did not know how to be that way until I met the two of you. So you both know that my my spiritual awakening started at your retreat that you had in Canada many years ago. You had me come in to speak to your teams in that business. And I had an experience that, I mean, I'll just call it an awakening. You know, mm-hmm. um, I was extremely religious and very confined by that, yet I felt like I couldn't really fit in with the people who also were religious Christian Americans that I hung out with. 
Um, I didn't understand what I was being called towards. But anyway, the two of you were really like confronting, you know, in a way. In other words, like some of the things you were saying and believing like freaked me out a little bit. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm okay with this. Like they're looking at angel cards. Like what are they doing voodoo? Like what the hell? What's up with the crystals? And I remember even when I'd see you and 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 you'd have your big crystal on your neck, I was like, oh, I wonder what that does. I don't know about that. <laughs> but I trusted. I trusted my heart and my heart felt perfectly safe with you both. Yeah. And my heart knew that you were just about love. And I realized my brain was the one messing it up. And so really you truly, what you two brought into your business, bringing that spiritual stuff, some people call it woo-woo, whatever, into your business, that was far ahead of everyone else. Now it's like the cool thing. You know, I just saw Lori Harder and all these people speaking at this thing in Nashville and they're like talking about like sound bowls and I'm like, shit, they did that 10 years ago. <laughs> so, oh, I thank l- you for that. You know what? It's so funny that we ended up opening on that topic because we just interviewed our psychic on a previous episode. And it was like, it, it even still, Jill, like we've been on this path, like, you know, with angel cards and spirituality and it's all one for probably 15 years for me, Sandy way longer. But even when she was speaking about, oh, you know, like my awakening to this was there was this lady and she was a witch in this town. And I was like, <gasps> like, you know, like, oh, like, okay, we're going there. Word. Right. And then I'm like, <laughs> I said, unpack that for us. Like, you know, so many people hear that word and there's so much negative connotation around a lot of this style of spirituality and connection to the divine. And um, she said the same thing you just said. She's like, oh, well, I guess I never really thought about it. But for me, I just, this lady felt so good and right in my soul. Like when I was around her, I felt safe and more connected. So I just knew there was nothing dark or bad about it. I was like, wow. I love, so as you've stepped into this path now and had your awakening, what's shifted for you in your life? Like how did that shift Ah. the way you showed up in in the world. So I'm not <laughs> laughing at your question. I'm laughing that like, talk about unpack. It would be a week of talking. Like I can't even explain to anyone. I've never tried to, but, but I don't even recognize who I was compared to who I am now. Like ne- before um, I was following rules and I was trying to fit it in. I was trying to be a good girl. I was trying to worship the right way and pray the right way and make sure I didn't make a mistake. And and look a certain way, um, be accepted by a community. And now I don't give a shit about any of that. Like <laughs> now I, none of that matters. I mean, of course, some of that is personal growth and things that have nothing to do with spirituality. But at the same time, one of those spiritual things you can do is take yourself on and look in the mirror and say, okay, let's unpack that, you know? And that's what I've been doing intensely for years now, but since meeting the two of you, um, you know, you introduced me to Violet Spirit Healer. I was just telling someone about her yesterday. Can't describe her. No freaking clue what she does or how she does it, but she does something. <laughs> and she was your secret sauce you introduced me to. Well, I. she said that most people work with her like once, maybe once every few years. And I've been working with her for 10 years, sometimes once a month. She's wow. worked with all my kids. Yeah. Um, I just had a call with her the other day that was four hours long. Like you introducing her to me, when you say, how are you different and what has changed? There's something that has changed, mm. you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I've I, grown even more since talking to the two of you about this stuff. Like you would be amazed 
where I was compared to where I am now, no bad or wrong about it, but like, and this might freak some people out and I get it and I'm okay with it. But like, for example, when I play my crystal bowls that are over here, um, the first time I had, I'd say like a spiritual experience was maybe, I'm going to guess three to six months ago. And I was playing the bowls and all of a sudden my hands became very tingly and they started moving on their own. And they started like doing things like this. And I'm like, okay, what is happening? But I wasn't scared. I was, the old me would have been afraid of that because, oh my gosh, that's dark. That's bad. That's wrong. Now I don't just trust anything, but I trust my compass. And my compass said, this is fine. This is an angel. Mm -hmm. And so I felt my hands moving and I felt my body moving. And that happened a few times. One time it went so deep, okay, that I always tell people that, I am not off key when I sing. I kind of some people are like, I can hear key. I can hear tone, but I can't, I'm not a singer. I have like a block in my throat. I've, I've always said, I think my throat chakra is clogged, clogged. Like I feel like I could sing if something could become un- unclogged, as I call it. I feel like that will happen one day because I, I can sense that maybe I could sing or maybe I sang in a past life. My two daughters have beautiful voices. Well, but I can't, if I tried to sing right now, you get what I mean. Like I really cannot sing at all. I was playing the bowls and I don't know how it happened. I have no explanation for how it happened. All of a sudden I started singing and it was this, this like, almost like, I'll say not almost, it was this angelic, like stair climbing of stairs of notes, like da, 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 almost like, almost um, like Ariel and the Little Mermaid. <laughs> and I kept going and then I, I got a little nervous and then I told myself, just, just surrender, just surrender. I took a deep breath. I was belting out notes, you guys. I mean, wow. like loud, beautiful notes that I could never reach in my life. And then it was over and I was like, whoa. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I've I've grown. I've gone on mushroom journeys. <laughs> I love, love it. it. Okay, you guys, if you don't know, so we really want to acquaint you with Jill's podcast called Be You. And when you hear that name, like you can see she has really embraced everything that makes her feel good, that really expresses who she is. And Jill, like, let's talk a little bit about that journey because you you said you came from this place where you were dressing for other people, trying to pray the right way, you know, be the good girl. Um, and then you had this kind of awakening, like relate that to business a little bit. I know you talk about this lots on your podcast, but you know, you were doing your mm-hmm. business very much what you thought was the right way too. And that was a journey of yeah. its own. Yeah. I, my business, I mean, my whole life was, but I see it now. If you look through the lens of my business, my business was driven by my wounds. Mm. All my unhealed, unresolved shit, my trauma I didn't know I had, I'll just say my wounding. Now, most of us are walking around, our wounding is driving the bus and we don't even know it, right? But now that I'm aware of it, I look at my business, I'm like, you might think, oh, it must've been a shit business. No, no, no. It was a successful business, but my wounding was in charge. So there was a lot of perfectionism. There was a lot of overcompensating. There was a lot of like overworking, hustling, um, not listening to my body, not taking care of myself, um, codependency, uh, micromanaging, rescuing, trying to fix people, being feeling responsible for their outcomes in their business, feeling apologetic about my success in my business, needing to hide, apologize for why I was doing well, um, pretend I wasn't working that hard, even though I was working nonstop, 
Um, so everything, all of that stuff was coming through in my business. And it, it was a, like a, a great, maybe a mirror or think of it as just like a, um, a duplicate of my inner story. So my business, I think all of our businesses are, but it was a com- absolute reflection of exactly what was going on inside. And that, so it looked good on the outside. I, I, um, was well-liked. I was respected, um, everything on the outside. You were speaking good. on stages, mm-hmm. like you were at yes. the, like the pinnacle of success in our company. Like everyone knew who you were. The it girl. Yeah. Yeah. You were, the, you guys became the it girls too. I was one of the it girls. And so, and I, and I was genuinely, as you were helping people, it wasn't just, you know, I'm on a stage and look at me. I mean, I was, all of that was true, but it, I was depleting myself, sacrificing myself, sacrificing what really matters to me in my life, which is my family, my relationships, my health, and my true spirituality, right? So my, that's how my business looked. It was a lot of chasing, a lot of forcing, not any flow, not any allowing. I was going to make shit happen no matter what. And again, to the outside world, it looked really good because I did make shit happen mm-hmm. until I couldn't. You know, like there were certain walls I just could not break through. And I would see things that you all were doing. And I was like, you know, I've said this to you. This isn't something I said behind your back. I said it to you. Like, I'm just as good at this as you. Mm -hmm. Like, why is your business so much bigger? Like, like, I don't understand because I started before you and I'm actually really fucking good at this. Yeah. And I realize now looking back that the reason was that my wounding was driving the bus, but at the same time... I still wasn't really being myself. Mm. So you think that spirituality is like separate from business and you had your spirituality driving your business. Yeah. And part of your spirituality was being yourselves yeah. and not apologizing for it and not editing yourselves and not trying to fit in and doing what felt good to you and driving your, running your business the way you, know, you guys had your own website, you did your own trainings and, and I, you didn't have the need to be good girls. And for me, my spirituality was in the closet. My spirituality was I'm trying to be like everybody else. And so it came out through my business, which was like, you're only going to go so far. Okay. You can only go so far. Like this is big right here. This is so big because when you're trying to do it in a way that's not aligned with who you actually are, it's so much harder work. You have to do like triple the amount of work to get a half of the results. When and, and, And I don't think... Like bless Sandy, I think that stuff just naturally came into our business because that's very much who she is. Um, so I'm so grateful that we were able to partner in business. But because we were really allowing ourselves to come through, and maybe my brand was more of the rebel, where I didn't, I didn't give a shit if somebody was mad at the way I was building my business. I remember in the beginning they were like, "Well, you can't do this and this. You have to do it this way." And I was like, "Well, no, because I've built my entire." business as it is right now this way. So I'm going to keep doing it. So I think that's what I brought. Like you brought the spirituality and I brought the, no, we'll do it our way. And in this zoomed out, like bird's eye view of it all. And we were just having this conversation on our last interview. It's like the walls kept coming because that wasn't really your true path because you needed Mm -hmm. to confront yourself and, and really connect deep and step out unapologetically as you it needed to be that way so you could rub up against those edges and then carve your new path because you totally did a course correction and shifted and pivoted in a huge way. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the business, here's what's interesting. I looked like a rebel. I mm. was doing things differently than other people, but only to a certain point. 
Right. Um, right. I still really, and this goes to back to my, my, um, like mother wound, like I and father wound. I wanted to please the company. I needed to be a good girl. I needed to be obedient. I needed them to like me. And so I would push and I would do things my own way. And a lot of times, you know, people would say, oh, that looks like something good. You know, let's start doing it. But I also would not step out of line too far. Yeah. And so I would course correct and look good for everyone else. But inside, it wasn't a course correct in the right way. It was taking me off my path. Yeah. It's like attachment styles, right? Like it's like how everybody will choose their attachment over their authentic selves. And you were basically looking at the company as your mom and dad, like a parent, like where you wanted to get attachment from them. I know that's a, that's a, a word only used in industry. So if you're listening, you don't know what industry we were, we were in. A term, the term upline means that the people who you don't work for, you're an independent contractor, but they had they came before you, and they're sort of like guides and mentors. I looked at them as moms and dads, mm. and I had to, and and the whole organization I was part of taught that dogmatic obedience. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I fell in line. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's so funny that it, I know you wanted to talk about, you know, blending families today. So I can, I can pivot to that very quickly because one thing I learned very late, but I finally learned it when I married my husband. So it was a second marriage. I already had my business for years before I met him. And I noticed that we parented the way we, we parented our businesses. Uh-huh. We led our families the way we led our businesses. He led his business from a place of no attachment, um, uh, standing in the back of the room, not needing to be in the front of the room, wow. um, being a true entrepreneur, like going alone and forging ahead and not needing a quote unquote mom and dad and uh, letting people make mistakes, not feeling codependent, not feeling responsible for anyone mm. and truly like to the point where it made me nervous, stepping aside and letting pe- hiring. He said his secret was I hire smart people and then I I move out of the way. Whoa. And I was like, yeah, I will never move out of the way. That's how he built his whole successful technology company was hiring. He said, I'll quote him. I hired a lot of people that were a lot smarter than me. And then I got the hell out of the way and I let them do their thing. And he really did. Didn't wow. question them, just let yeah. them go. I mean, Jesus, that like makes me nervous still. Even. <laughs> I've done a lot of work, but not that much work. And that's how he raised our kids. Right. And I was the opposite. I was controlling and forcing and micromanaging and feeling responsible for everybody and codependent, all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm so glad we're getting into the blended families. So just before we really like start going down that path, like give us a little overview of your story. So you got married, your first marriage, had kids, mm-hmm. you know, and then how did you end up in a situation where you were divorced and and now getting remarried and blending a family? Yeah, I'm actually glad you asked that because it goes right in line with the whole business story. I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to be a bad girl. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. So I stayed married. I got married very, 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 very young. Nobody forced me into that, but also no one in my family questioned it. Mm-hmm. Not one person parents, older brother, no one said, so you're 22. You'll barely be turning 23, like a month after you get married, marrying someone 11 years older, and you've had one boyfriend in your life. Are you sure that's the move? (laughs) Just wondering. Mm -hmm. Nobody said that and no fault of theirs. I'm just saying no one said that. 
And I married someone I was looking for a parent. I married someone 11 years older. I was working in a bar and he was the manager of the bar. So at 21 years old, it looked like he was, you know, like above me and like more responsible. I did not realize that he was an alcoholic. Um, I, my parents weren't alcoholics. We had no alcoholics in our family other than my grandfather who I've met like one time. So I really had never seen that before. Um, I didn't drink a whole lot. So it just, I, I did not notice the signs. They were so obvious. Are you ready for the first one? On our very first date, he got a DUI. Right. Wow. <laughs> first date. Yeah. About two months after that, he called me from the bar and needed me to pick him up. He had gone on a, a, a guy's trip on a bus to go see some sort of sporting event. And he was so drunk, he was falling off of the bar stool. And I had to walk him into the car didn't think anything of it, even though I was like, wow, that's a lot of alcohol. So um, the first thing is I married someone before I really was ready. I'd done no inner work whatsoever. And I married someone um, addicted to alcohol, whose father was also addicted to alcohol, whose grandparent was also addicted to alcohol, whose brother was also addicted to alcohol and drugs. Um, And I truly did not see it. You know, someone might say I was choosing not to see it. And that's probably true, but I, I, either way, you don't see it, whether you're choosing not to see it or not. I didn't see it. So four years of marriage with no kids. So you can easily get out if you haven't had kids yet. Right. And you know what I mean? When I say that it's not bad to get out after you have kids, but if you haven't had kids yet, it's just less you're complicated. A good girl, right. yeah. It looks yeah, less complicated. And if you're a good girl, it doesn't look as bad. So I had no desire to get out of the marriage. We were great friends. We got along great. We went to concerts. We had fun together. Um, We genuinely enjoyed each other's company. We were really, 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 really best friends. And um, I would notice signs and symptoms. This isn't about addiction today, but just I'll just quickly give an overview. I would notice things. um, But again, because I had not really ever really tuned into my true self, I questioned myself always and listened to what I defer to the opinion of other people always. And so he and other people in my life would say, no, he doesn't have a problem. He's not drinking too much. I'm like, okay, I guess that's me. So four and a half, five years into the marriage, I'm eight months pregnant. And something said to me, okay, it's you're not crazy. You really see it. I get there's something there. And I confronted him and even threatened, like, you're not going to see this baby if you don't tell me the truth. Okay, fine. I have a drinking problem. And I was like, whoa, I didn't think you were going to say that. (laughs) But wait, I wasn't actually ready for it. (laughs) Don't tell me the truth. I wasn't ready for that. I thought you were just going to say, yes, I did drink tonight. Um, And then it went into him admitting everything. And that's when I found alcohol hidden everywhere, from pornography everywhere. I found chat rooms Mm. he was in on websites that I didn't even know how to work or what it even meant. Um, and we stayed together another 13 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. And so I just, kept, he such was such a not, quote unquote nice guy and so kind to me. And we'd never yelled at each other, never argued. He was always sweet and kind to me, always. And as I said, we were best friends. And so um, I had a baby coming. And I remember I went to my mother-in-law, who was the stereotypical American East Coast Italian. <laughs> from South Philly, honey. Yeah. And I went over to her house and I said, this is what happened. This is what I found. And she looked at me and she says, divorce the son of a bitch. <laughs> I said, what did you just say to me? She's like, you heard me. And I was like, 
why would you tell me to divorce your own child? And she goes, because I'm smart. And I wasn't smart when I was young like you. You don't divorce him. You're going to be regretting it 20 years from now. Trust me. Wow. And 13 years later, I was regretting it and divorcing him. She had passed away at that point. So, um, yeah. So it's like God, the universe was trying to give me all these signs and tell me what was going on. And I just, I didn't see it. And and I'm happy to come back another time if you ever have an episode on addiction, because I know that was something you, I know you're going to explore. And I just, I didn't want to go fully down that road because mm-hmm. I'm trying to move past it. But I realize as I'm talking, that I do have a lot I could share and with women who are in that and they don't see it. Exactly. It's so many women, including myself, have been there and have been stuck in that because you are in love with the little boy, like the version of them they could be, not the one they're giving you. And so, yeah, yeah that's a totally and I think, episode of its own. And I think, well, because all of us have been touched by it, I don't think you realize how unwell you become when you are with an alcoholic or someone with addiction. It, it's like such mm-hmm. a slow entanglement of who you are that you really have to work so hard to get yourself back after being in that environment for so long. Yeah. And I, I have to tell you, I it was... Um, just years of on again, off again. You know, he would stop drinking, then he would decide he can drink a little bit, and then it would he'd get bad, and then we'd we'd go to a counselor or a therapist, and they would tell him he's an alcoholic, and he would cancel the next appointment and say they were crazy. And so we did that for years, but there was never anything volatile. There was never any arguing. He was never falling down drunk. He was never vomiting. He didn't. You know, there was there were all these justifications I had mm-hmm. because he was he was such an easy drunk. Like he just many times didn't get super wasted. And the other thing is he hid it from me. So he would, it's the shame. It sounds like he was being respectful of me, but it was also just his shame. He did most of his drinking after I went to sleep. Mm. So it's not like I was like dealing with this day and day and I saw it. Now, energetically I was, I could feel it. He was completely detached. He was dissociated from his body. There was no intimacy. There was no real connection other than the friendship and and the love for our children. Um, but it was, um, yeah, it was interesting. So, so to answer your question, so we were married quite some time and, um, after, I think it was about 16 years that I actually, uh, decided that I would leave. And when I make a big decision, I make it very quickly. Um, I'm very indecisive about little things like what am I going to eat on the menu? (laughs) And I'm very decisive when it comes to big things. It's like, I think I'm moving. And then literally I will just move. (laughs) We can relate. Is that you, Sandy? That's Uh, both of us. Both of us. Yeah. Like it scares the shit out of people. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a funny joke, but it's, it's like, if I just said, I'm packing all my kids up and we're moving to another continent. When? I'm, I think tonight. <laughs> Where are you going to live? I don't know. We'll find something. Yeah. 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 So I had no desire to divorce. I never secretly fantasized about divorce. I swear to you. I never thought about oh. it. It's not like I was like, oh, I wish I could leave. I never thought about it. I even said to my children, when someone they knew their parents got divorced, I said, and I believed it, listen, kids. You don't have to worry. We will never do that to you. Mm. Wow. Wow. Never, ever do that to you because it was wrong. And that wouldn't be being a good girl. And our religion. Yeah. Yeah. It was our religion. And um, I said, we would never do that to you. And then I ended up being the one who chose it. And so, um, yeah. So on a Friday, 
I had a conversation with one of my customers who was a um, like like a psychotherapist or something like that. And I believe he was definitely planted <laughs> by something greater than me. Mm-hmm. And he was talking. He's like, hey, I've known your husband since high school. How is he? And I was like, eh, you know, he's okay. He's not working again. He's like, how's the drinking? I said, how did you know that? And he's like, Joe, are you serious? Like he was getting high in like seventh grade. Like, wow. you know, he has so much potential, but. And I, then I just unloaded and told him and he's like, so I have a question. Why don't you just get a divorce? And literally that second I was like, oh my God, why don't I just get a divorce? Wait, I can get a divorce. I never even considered that. I think I'm going to get a divorce. Wow. And I left that lunch or coffee. I, I called my husband at the time and said, Hey, hang out with the kids. I just need the afternoon to myself. I went to my favorite like um, chocolate store. I went and window shopped. I walked around. I made the whole afternoon about myself. And I was like, you're doing this. I went home. I told him that evening that I was leaving him, that he would be moving out and he needed to be out by Monday. Jeez, Jill. Wow. wow. So like- He ended up moving out by Friday, the next Friday. So one week, he ended up moving out. His mother-in-law, my, my mother-in-law had passed away and she happened to leave her house empty. He moved like one neighborhood away and moved out. And I was very slow to the divorce. So we stayed separated for about a year and a half because um, that's when I, you know, I started having the hangover of my decision and feeling guilty and all the community coming in and putting me in front of all these people about how you shouldn't do it. He's never been unfaithful. It's not, you know, in scripture, it doesn't say that you can unless he's been unfaithful. And let me let you talk to my pastor and, you know, Catherine Lee from our old community saying, you know, I'm not sure you should do this. And 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 so I questioned it. And then finally I was like, fuck this. Yeah. Mm. Like I am not living like this anymore. And I that day then decided I'm signing divorce papers and it's over. And and that was it. Wow. So I was by myself for um, I don't know, I'm gonna say about two years um before um being with my husband who I'm married to now. I said I would never marry again. I would only focus on myself and my business and my children. And that was it. And I literally was like, I will be that person who never marries again. I will be single forever. And well, <laughs> I thought my the same thing. I, I couldn't marry him fast enough. <laughs> oh, man. Kate, I'm really excited to get into second marriage because I know that you and I have both had very vulnerable conversations around um, well, first of all, to pre-qualify, I don't think every second marriage is the way that ours maybe was in the beginning. I'm a very reactive, fiery personality. And so I my second marriage is to somebody who's equally fiery and reactive. And our passion is in all areas of our relationship. Some areas really good <laughs> and some areas like in terms of fighting and miscommunicating Hashtag really bad. hot sex. <laughs> Man, I wish I could say what I say sometimes. I'm not going to. Um, I know what yeah. you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> we fight the same as we, you know, what I'm going to yes. say. Yeah. And so that's great. And there's a way to have a passionate marriage and have good communication. It took us 32 hours of counseling, um, deep, deep, deep work. And deep commitment. And we went through like a very scary winter in our marriage because we just couldn't figure out how to hear each other. 
And I know that I've talked to you about it before and I've talked openly with TK as well. And I love that TK and Kelly can be um, open with each other also because it made us feel less alone in our, you know, miscommunication. But, you know, just speak a little bit to some of the baggage maybe that we bring into a second marriage and how like to communicate through that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I will be married 10 years this May. Really? Wow. We're 10 year anniversary and we blended together five kids. Um, they are three girls, two boys. His two kids are like, I would say like stair-stepped in the middle of my three kids. So right now our kids are all young adults. We just became empty nesters last week. Ooh, First yeah. time ever. So we are completely, um, we've raised all kids past the age of 18 at this point. Um, before I answer your question about baggage coming in, I like every like podcast that I do to be organic. And I was very, very guided for sure that I needed to make these three points. So I just want to like bullet point them and we can unpack them however. And even if one's deeper than the other, that's okay. But I think if you said to me, how have you made this second marriage work, but not just work, like thrive. Our children love each other. Our children get along great, um, as different as they are. Our families are so unbelievably different. Me with my biological kids, TK with his biological kids, polar opposite styles. We raised our children differently. We communicate differently. We're very emotional and out there and creative and whatever. And they are very like reserved and, and, um, not not what we are like like total opposite um so i the three words that came to me were because i was thinking if you have a listener that's like one day going to marry again or they just did and blending families because there's marrying again and there's blending families two completely different things so when you marry a second time with children it's a completely different ball game and you know that at least in the u.s the divorce rate is like over 80 percent now I, I believe 78 to 80 percent for second marriage with children. So the I would say three words. One, intention. Two, communication. And three, surrender. But the intention, all of them can be broken down, but the intention piece is multifaceted. Like A, like what is your intention for this blended family? It's not just, oh, I, I want it to work. We don't want to get a divorce. Like my intention was that it would thrive. His intention was that it would thrive. Our intention was, even if we don't know how the F to do this and it takes forever to figure it out, the the hatch is sealed. There's no escape hatch. We will not divorce no matter what. Yeah. Beyond pinky swear. We will not no matter what. And our intention is that it won't just work, but it will thrive no matter how ugly it gets Yeah, to get there. And yeah. then as far as the intention bringing in spirituality, I truly, truly fell into that. I did vision boards. I did affirmations. I had pictures of my kids like, putting them together, like, you know, this kid with this kid, seeing them together, like lighting candles for them, like, like believing they were going to be friends and that they would, they would come together, like really working on what was coming up for me with my, my stepchildren who were like, obviously amazing teachers for me because they were like major button pushers for me. And I was button pushers for them and our wounds were all coming up, you know, but like envisioning where we are now. And it wasn't like that for a while where um, you know, we always like got along, but there was this underlying tension, this yeah. underlying unspoken like stuff. Um, so intention for the relationship was the first one, the family relationship. One, it will survive and it will thrive no matter 
what it takes to get there. And then what does that look like? What does that look like? What is the intention for it? Like, what do you see? What do you feel? What will it be like? Okay. Mm. And then stick in then And then uh, number two, communication is important for every relationship, obviously. But when you blend families, like it's, as you know, Michelle, like you can't even begin to talk about how not just, oh, you should communicate, but understanding, like you said, how do the other people communicate? What's their communication style? You know, it's like, Come bringing two different cultures together, two different, completely different cultures. Like we didn't get each other. Like what my kids ate, his kids didn't eat. What his kids eat, my, ate, my kids didn't eat. You know, he had a kid that was a butter noodle kid. You know, the kid that like they go to a restaurant and all they eat is butter noodles. And I was like, eat your fucking salmon and eat your fucking broccoli. <laughs> you know? And um, totally. we're loud and, and, and we're, my mother's Hispanic and their dad's family's Italian. And this is just how we are. And they are the opposite. They were raised like, you don't share feelings. You don't talk about feelings. You don't feel your fucking feelings. Wow. <laughs> and we were like, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so we just shocked the hell out of his kids and him. And they, our kids were like, God, what is wrong with them? And they were like, what is wrong with them? <laughs> right. So. Oh my god! I could tell you so many stories. Um, what so ages were what? What ages were they? Like all your kids when you guys got Let together? Let me think. Okay, I'm going to count backwards. They're all getting ready to have birthdays. Okay, so they were fourteen. Um, they were fourteen, thirteen, eleven, ten, and eight. Wow. 14, 13, 11, hey, 10, 8. Girl, huge girl, pat girl, on boy. the back because I when I when we blended our families, our kids were, we called them the fives and the sevens. There was two fives and two sevens. And Whoa. right. And they but at that age, the gift in that age was that they were just so much more open. They're they weren't jaded yet. They were just like, okay, like you want to be, you want to love me and be an important role in my life. Okay. And it was vice versa. The the kids were at the age where they were like, what built-in sleepover friends? Like, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. And so it was, we had it a lot easier that way. And we did a lot of the stuff you're talking about with spirituality programming, like what we were saying to them. Gosh, you guys are close. Gosh, you guys love each other. You know, lots of verbal programming. But I always said, I don't know how it would have gone had we had to blend at this age, which is the teenage years. And that's where you were. It was so, so hard. Yeah. Like it's, it's now... Because of the way his children were and 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 pretty much still are, it wasn't like fiery. It wasn't what people might think. There weren't like a bunch of arguments. There was really none of that. There was never one argument, by the way, between any of the kids. Wow. That's not always healthy. Yeah, right. <laughs> never. Now, like, literally to this day, after 10 years, there's not been a single argument between the step-sibling, step-siblings ever. That's surprising. Not one-on-one, not two-on-one, not three and never. As I said, though, is that healthy? Right, because there's lots probably of not. probably stuffing of things. Yes, pushing the ball under the water, pushing the ball under the water. So, for example, I had a daughter, my two daughters were like messy. I mean, like, it's like a truck stop <laughs> in a fraternity house looking at their ho- their rooms. It's disgusting. Like, messy, piles of shit everywhere, food everywhere. Like, I do not know who raised them. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Um, and TK's kids, everything's in order everything's immaculate and also don't touch my shit. Mm. And my kids are like, we share everything. Like, why wouldn't we? Your towel's <laughs> my towel. My toothbrush is your toothbrush. Like, like TK, we're, we're, my husband, if you were sitting here, he'd go, oh, that's the pot calling the cuddle block. That's me. 
I'm like, aren't they community towels? <laughs> aren't they community toothbrushes? Like, aren't we a fucking family? Like, I don't see it. Like, yeah. I'll use his toothbrush. He's like, bro, what are you doing? I'm like, are you kidding me? We kiss all the time. We make, Who cares? make out. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so his kids were very, again, no criticism. This is just how they were raised. And some of it, of course, is, you know, personality style and all kinds of stuff. But they were very organized. They were very attached to their things. They didn't want any of their things touched. They did not like to share. My kids were big into sharing, not because they're not better kids. They're just different. They were big into sharing and didn't care. And it was like, I'm going to wear this. I'm going to wear that. So there should have been a lot of arguments. But mm-hmm. what would happen is, for example, my daughter would go into Jessica, my stepdaughter's room and like take something without permission. Not okay, by the way, but she didn't see anything wrong with it. And instead of saying something, Jessica, remember, obedient, people pleaser, she would say something to her mother who would then say something to me and my husband. And then there's all those things. (gasps) Then a text message would come, right? Um, So so those kind of things um, happened. So intention, communication, and then the surrender part is, you know, obviously applies to all of life, but it's especially important in blending a family. Like, like having intention and intentional action while also just completely surrendering too. Yeah. Like loving what is and saying it's not going to be the way I want it to be probably. And it's going to look very different than what I expect. And I have to just roll with it. Now, I did not get to that point for about seven years. Yeah. Wow. Literally. Yeah. I It drove me crazy that they didn't want to eat the food I made. It drove me crazy that they wouldn't or wouldn't share. It drove my husband and his kids crazy the way my kids would do stuff. And it can be interesting to you without driving you crazy, right? It can be an observation where it's like, well, I wouldn't live like that, but whatever, yes. right? So the surrender didn't come for about seven years, but I mean, whatever, right? I mean, <laughs> I love these a lot. Three. And we also had a lot of moving parts with the ex. So my ex-husband, his addiction got much, 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 much worse after I left him. Too many stories to share. My kids had broken hearts over and over again. They would cry themselves to sleep. George, my son, cried himself to sleep every night for years, um, going through middle school like that. You know, there were times where we would get a phone call from my daughter and my husband and I would get in the car in the middle of a snow blizzard, a snowstorm, two in the morning and go take the kids out of his apartment because he was so obliterated and they were scared. Like, There was just a lot of stuff. And then the other piece that it would take too long to get into, but I have to mention it because someone might find themselves in this situation, is that I'll tell you now what we didn't do well. We didn't put a bubble around our relationship and around our family. And we allowed people like his parents to have a say, to have an opinion, and to insert themselves and not have boundaries. And so that was another thing that could have taken us down. You know, all the stuff with my ex could have taken us down the way it affected our children. Um, All of the stuff that I mentioned before about how different we were could have affected us and taken us down. The third piece, which was the biggest piece, was that his parents were not okay or in support of our marriage or the blending of our family. And they made it very well known. They are nice, kind people. They're good people. I love them. They raised an amazing man who I married to. I'm not picking on them. They'll feel like I am if they ever hear this. I'm not. I'm stating my truth and my experience. And also factual information that I could back up with receipts (laughs) where, you know, they weren't just not happy about the union, but they would insert themselves. Yeah. And they would like only give Christmas gifts to his kids and not to my kids in front of them. Yeah. Right. They would anyway, want us to keep the same traditions that they always had and not have our own. So 
What I wish I would have done faster, which I recommend to everyone, is sit down with your partner and don't just set the intention that the, it's going to go great, and that, but also set the intention of what will it look like as far as what are some things that I'm not willing to let go or negotiate on as far as let's just make up, let's use traditions as an example. What are some things that you're not willing to? What are some things where I'm like, I could probably give in on that, and then why? Yeah. And come to a point of agreement where you know that you're not going to get everything you want. You're just not. It's like in the United States right now, I understand this is a touchy subject, so put your seatbelt on, everybody. But the Americans get the Americans. I always act like I'm not an American. <laughs> That's because you're more Canadian. <laughs> we adopted you yeah, a long time I, ago. I, I am. <laughs> Pretty I am. much. The the Americans, we get so hung up on whoever comes into office for president. Just hear me out for a minute. We want to get our way 100% on, for example, um, the topic of um, abortion or pro-life or pro-choice. We want our 100%. Yeah, and the thing is, we're never going to get a hundred percent. You, it's it's just not going to work. We each have to be willing to give a little bit. That's yeah. my opinion. A little bit on that to to come up with a happy medium. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when it comes to the relation, go ahead. No, th- I'm disagreeing because. If it's like that it politically, then sometimes that replicates and duplicates into the individual homes where it's like, well, you know, that's how politics are. It's this or this, black or white. It has to be all or none. And then maybe that's just, you know, manifesting itself into marriages as well mm-hmm. and, and showing up as divorce. It's like, oh, it has to be my way instead of where can we meet in the middle? And I think, I mean, that yes. obviously is what saved Kelly and I was finding out how can we meet in the middle on these things? Mm-hmm. And everything but my way is wrong. Yeah. That's yeah. the other thing. And so, you know, for, you know, people who find a lot of solace, um, not solace, comfort, and it's really important to them that there are traditions and rituals usually come from a more traumatic background. Yeah. So rituals and traditions are are great for everybody. And the people like me who it's very important to me, we do it this way every year. We've always done it this way every year. It gives us something to stand on. It gives us something to hold on to when we feel like everything's out of control. Hashtag going back to our childhood, right? So it wasn't a hashtag, i.e. going back to our (laughs) childhood, okay? So my children, those were really important. My husband's kids really didn't give a rip about traditions. They were very laid back about like, I don't really care. We can do whatever we want. Like we will bake cookies on Christmas Eve. That is what we do. We will do this. That is what we do. My kids are like that. It's funny you say the trauma. Like I, Mm -hmm. now you're really like, that's really enlightening to me because my kids are so set. And like, if a tradition changes, it brings up like some really weird emotions and like really raw emotions. And now I'm understanding like, well, that's how they feel control. Like, that's how they feel safe. Like, yes, our whole life was upside down. Our dad left. We didn't know where he was, if he was dead or alive, but we did this on Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the bonus was his kids were along for the ride. They're always like, that's so cool that Jill bakes cookies and does all that. I'll do that. I don't care, right? However, when it came to the in-laws, they had always done things a certain way for 20 years and I was expected to go along. This is where the good girl comes in. Mm. This was before my my second stage of my awakening, which is the FU stage of my <laughs> where it's like, you know, I wanted to be so liked and expect accepted and loved by his parents. I wanted, I didn't have in-laws. My in-laws had were had died. And one of them I had never met. And I really missed my mother-in-law and I liked having in-laws. And I had a really 
chaotic, unpredictable, isolating, sad childhood. So I'll just say that. I mean, really not good. And so I was excited to have in-laws. I was excited to be loved as a daughter. I was excited for all of that. And they were so against our union. They were so against his divorce. Unfortunately, they weren't able to move past that. And so when it came to traditions, I would say, okay, it's fine. I'll drive, we'll drive all five of our kids an hour up to your house and not celebrate in our own home. No big deal. It's okay if you give more presents to his kids and my kids are sitting there watching and it's awkward. We're on present 13 and my kids got some slippers. No big deal. You know, no, it was a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm saying I I went along with that, but I'm proud of myself because the recovery time was a lot shorter. Yeah. The different the the time between, right? In the past, it was what 13 years before I woke up. This time, two Christmases, I'm like, I'm nope, not happening again. And I just, I said that I'm like, I love you. And we, you had 20 some years to do your own traditions, your own, your own way. We are starting this family. We need everybody to be included and we're going to do it this way. You can come along if you want. You're welcome to. And they said no. And we've never celebrated Christmas with us since. Wow. wow. Interesting. Yeah. But, but that's okay. Totally. Remember you guys, we were in our forties. Yeah. Think about it. We were in our mid forties still answering to his parents. Yeah arguing with his parents about what we're doing with our lives in our mid-40s. You know what I love about what you said is um, when you said we, you took full responsibility. You said, I, one thing I wish we would have done is we would have put a bubble around our family and prevented, you know, as blending. And I think that's, you know, on top of the three things that you said could potentially be a fourth of, you know, like, you didn't blame. It's like they were trying to get in. They were trying to get in. I, you know, you talk to a lot of women who haven't done their their personal growth and haven't done a lot of evolution. It's it's they did this and they did this and they did this and they are all doing these things to us. You said one thing I wish we would have done is put a bubble around our family, and that was our responsibility. And what a difference! And so then when you did it, you're like, great, I feel empowered. Now we're at a place that we need to be. There's no resentment or anything. Yeah. I would ask. So as someone that is newly stepping into the arena of this whole world, if you... She's in love. I'm in love. (gasps) Yeah. For real. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Whole episode. So if... So what? how... If you could have gone back and had some conversations with the kids as a family as you're stepping into this new dynamic of what what, what would that conversation have looked like with intentionality with your kids? Or what did it look like? Actually, I will say we did have those conversations. The conversations we didn't have was when there were things that were going on, little things like the kid taking the other kid's clothes. or We didn't sit down as a family and have like family meetings. We did not do that. It, it It was something I wish I wish we would have done now that I look back. At the time, we were doing the best we could and it just felt like too much for everybody. Um I wish we would have put a bubble around our family, not just with outsiders like his parents or you know, even friends of his. I wish we would have put a bubble around our family as far as intentional time together, mm. like all five of the kids. I understand we're going in a million directions. I get it, but I'm going to use an example. But on Sundays, we eat dinner together, period, full stop. I really wish I would have done that, but I, I, I didn't. I, did, I wanted to be liked and I didn't want it to be too messy and I just... I wanted it, but I didn't make it happen. So we're making up for it now. I will tell you though, 
Um, once your children graduate from high school, so where we live, that's age 18. I don't know if it's the same in Canada. Um, once that happens, even really once they get their driver's license at 16, but once they're out of high school, it takes a lot more effort once they're on the own, their own to keep the family together. And we're doing a great job. And if I'm really honest, if I had done more of that gatekeeping, mm-hmm. right, with time, et cetera, when they were younger, it would be even stronger. But we didn't. Um, we didn't do that. Uh, but what I will tell you is, it's funny, Michelle, when you said that you would say things like, you know, you guys really get along great, whatever. I actually never did that. I never thought about that. But I realized that when we do that now, I bet that's what's happening mm-hmm. because we say it all the time, how much we love our family. We have a family text thread together. It's so fun. It's called um, Weird Blended Family. <laughs> and the weirdest stuff we put in there, I mean, random things, um, the kids will put like, you know, funny memes or some TikTok thing or whatever, or just like literally one time the kid put a picture of his own poop, like in the toilet. He's like, bro, look at this. I mean, <laughs> I love it. Like, this is the weird stuff goes. people don't say out loud, but like every family has weird stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. We just like anything goes in that text thread. And, and it's been a good lesson for me because it triggered my need for control, my need to have things be a certain way. And when people aren't responding or certain kids aren't participating, I would think about saying something. And now I just let everybody be and it's there for whoever wants to use it. And sometimes we joke, it's like my husband and I are talking to each other and the weirdest, (laughs) weirdest blended family text thread. But then out of the blue, you've got, you know, my daughter last night, I could cry. She's turning, just turned 25 and she put a text in there to everybody and said, just landed. So we all knew that her plane landed and she was okay. Yeah. You know, oh, I am crying. It's just, it's just such a nice, it's, I'm so proud. My husband um, cried, I mean, full on cried in the kitchen a few weeks ago. Was it a few weeks ago? Um, I don't know if it was after the surprise birthday party I threw for him in August or the going away party I just had for our son, George, who moved away. But either way, I can picture him. We were standing in the kitchen and he was like super emotional. And I said, hey, what's going on? And he just started crying. Aww. And I said, are you okay? And he said, I just love our family so much. Oh, He's like, I'm so emotional. proud of the family that we've created. Like we are so proud. It's been fucked up. It's been messy. It's been ugly. It's been brutal. We've had a surprise pregnancy at a tw- at 20 we've had a kid on drugs we had a kid over one of our children overdose in our home on ecstasy true story we had a child who thought of suicide and spoke of suicide often in a deep depression for a couple years we had so much thrown at us we had we had a kid move out at 18 to be a professional athlete yeah that's great but then they're just gone um, we had another kid move across the country at 19 because she just wanted to just try something new and get away. And so like all these moving missing parts, we had a grandchild, not just born, but in our home and living with us all of a sudden for two years while we still had kids in high school. We had five kids in five different schools at one point. On Wednesday nights, we would start driving at 3.30 p.m. and be done at 10 p.m., you know, and I had breast implant illness and I, I mean, all these things came at us and tried to like mess it up for us. And I'll tell you, because of those three things, our intentionality, our intention and intentionality, communicating, not perfectly, but communicating a lot and then surrendering because of those three things, you know, we haven't just survived. I mean, we're absolutely 
thriving. Now, there are a million hiccups we could go into, you know, like if we had hours and hours, like it's not, it's never going to be what your family could have been if you didn't change the dynamics. It will never be that. And so there's a grieving process oh, of grieving like, the family. Brings up yeah, a lot. That, and, and again, no bad or wrong, but can we just fucking be honest? Yeah. I said to my husband, look, I'm going to be honest. And he said, okay, me too. We agreed. We're so glad we left the marriages that we were in and we would never trade that for anything. And we hate that we are divorced. I know. We hate that our, 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 our that we have the divorces because it we don't hate our family, but we wish what we have now could have been from the beginning. Of course, it couldn't have been or yeah. it wouldn't be what it is. But it, there's an honest feeling that that it is way more complex. You're sharing kids on holidays. You're swapping kids. You're, my husband just said something the other day I never thought of, you guys. He said, it wasn't like being negative or like saying, woe is us. But he just said, isn't it interesting? We've never had a holiday ever where we don't feel rushed uh-huh. because we've got kids that are going to leave or they're going to come and we hope that they're not full when they already get sit down at our dining room table. And if they are full, we have to pretend we don't notice they're not eating or that they're going to leave early because they had to get to the other house. Yeah. It's okay. But we've never had that experience of it being the other way. And there are other other hiccups, you know, like when you um when you love your stepchildren, your bonus children, your whatever you want to call call them children from the heart. When you love them, in my opinion, you have to get really, really, really real about what that love is. I kept trying to force it and make it like it was with my children. And I wanted my husband to do the same. It can be so big and so beautiful and it will never fucking be the same. It will never be the same. Boom. My husband That's loves my children really important so much. To say. He is, yes, he is. He, my, my, he, my daughter asked him to adopt her. I mean, he is their dad. And... I had to let go of all my expectations and what I wanted it to be because it can't be that. He will never look at my girls the way he looks at Jessica. He will never look at George the way he looks at Thomas. And I'm going to be really brutally honest. I'm going to be really human here. I fucking hate it. I hate it. I hate that it will never be that way. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. because I is. want him to look at George the way he looks at Thomas. Everything Thomas does or says, he's like lights up. He's his son. Yeah. Right? He loves George to pieces and, and and with me too. I carried around a lot of guilt. I love my daughter, Jessica, my stepdaughter, so much. And I don't just say that because it sounds good. I truly love her and I like her, right? And I I take great care of her and I I really do everything I can to be a good mother figure to her. And it is never going to be the same as the two girls that I carried in my womb and I raised and breastfed and raised all those years before I had Jessica. And not only will I never be your mother, clearly I've never tried to be, right? Because she has a wonderful mother. I need to be very okay with the fact, and I wasn't in the past, if I'm honest, that she's never going to love me the way she loves her mother. It's not even going to be close. You know, it used to bother me, even, I'm going to be honest, a year ago, like when, and there would be, or two years ago, like Thomas will not acknowledge me on social media. It'll be my birthday. And he'll acknowledge, acknowledge his mom on social media for his birthday, but not me. And it would really hurt my feelings because behind closed doors, I'm his other mom. Like I'm a really good parent to him. And I realized I can't imagine how hard that is for him. He probably feels like it's disrespectful or maybe it hurts his mom. So I have to be okay with it. And Jessica the same way. And then she came around and did. Or or Jessica acknowledges every year her blood brother on his birthday 
but would never acknowledge the other kids on their birthdays. And I had to let it go. And on their own, this year, she acknowledged her stepsister on her birthday. And like, you know what I mean? This is the surrender part. You just have to surrender to the messiness, the part that you don't understand, that doesn't make sense, that will never be what you wanted it to be or what you thought it should be. And it's the whole loving what is. Total yeah. total acceptance for the dynamic that it is. And because you are honest about that, Jill, it probably is a relief for your stepkids and for your kids to just like let them settle into being who they are and showing up in the way that they, they'll show up as how you've raised them to be good, amazing humans. Of course, they're going to have that connection piece at the forefront. Totally. Wow. Yeah, I love and I, it. And I'm still failing. I want to be transparent though. So I do want to be transparent. Like I, what I said to you is true and I'm still working on that. I mean, just last year on my birthday, our, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I remember feeling hurt because I, I, I didn't get what I thought I should get as far as attention. Um, but I can course correct really fast now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But these so, are so good for like something we didn't really talk about much on this particular episode is like our our business name, the brand, this podcast is called Liberated. And it's all about like uncaging ourselves in these various cages we live in. And you've probably heard this quote, we're all living in cages with the doors wide open. And so I love in this particular episode, in this one path we went down, because we could have talked about 100 things with you today, but you really did allow yourself to leave your cage because the cage, the blended family cage can be very poor me, very I'm the victim, very it's everybody else's fault. Um, And I really hear you saying like, yes, you're not perfect. I love that you shared all of the the real rawness of blending a family and of late teen, early adulthood children. Like they're out of the nest now and now they're going to go make their mistakes And now they're going to have real adult stuff coming up. Um, But you still continuously make the effort to live outside the cage and be free in your experience of your blended family. Mm, Thank you for that. What was the moment? I I know recently, like you said, intentionality and it, it didn't all click right away. You said it took seven years. What was there? And if recently... Was there a shifting or how did you guys gel in in this whole other way uh, or go into different depths with each other as they're stepping into adulthood? Is it just their readiness or was there something that happened that helped you all deepen together? The one thing I can't believe I didn't mention when I talked about the three things, here's the other thing. None of that matters if you're not like working on yourself and looking at your own stuff. So I would say the reason our family evolved into what it is, the main reason is to answer your question is because my husband and I really took ourselves on at a whole new level. Like we prioritized our marriage, okay, when we didn't actually in the very beginning for years. We were just like, it's just like trying to like keep up with what was happening. Um, But we really took on our own internal growth not just mindset work and affirmations, you know, not just talking to a therapist, but deep somatic work, hiring, spending way more money than we could afford on a relationship coach, you know, for a six month container that was no joke and then renewing again, right? And then taking time off and then he just renewed again with the guy and I went with someone else for six months. I mean, like really taking that on and being brutally honest about everything I've shared with you here with each other. 
I have to be honest with you. I feel jealous when this happens. You know, what comes up for me when you do that? I, I have to be really transparent with you. I I can't imagine I'm saying this, but when you hug and kiss your children, it's the most beautiful thing and it also breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Like like saying things like that, like being that real. So when it comes to the kids, I think I hear you asking like, what did we do to help all that gel? You said, is that what you're saying? Yeah, like, like the was kids? there a moment where like, Everyone felt the shift where you, it. Great question. Honestly, I think it's just time. Right. You know what I mean? I don't think there was a moment, but it, but I do feel like also remember they're going through their hormonal, hormonal changes. They're teenagers. All these things are happening with them. And maybe some of that is that now they think about it. They go into adulthood. They become 18, 19, 20 through 25, right? And all of a sudden they're more relaxed into who they are. Mm-hmm. Right. They're feeling a little more secure. They're out of the house. So they're not feeling the pressure and stress of us, you know, being the boss of them. And maybe that allowed them to then explore those relationships with each other without us being a part of it. I think that was part of it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Because like I my oldest and TK's oldest daughters, polar opposites. I mean, the opposite ends of the spectrum in every way. And they are so unbelievably close in the last like year. Wow. That's so true. You're not, nobody's micromanaging anything. They're just out there having their experience and then realizing, hey, when I'm given space, I actually really love this person. Like I miss them. I like having them a part of my life. And now I choose it. It's not a part of the expectation or my daily life. I choose them. And that's that's the goal of every blended family, right? Is like, we just want, we just want our kids to choose each other one day. And, and here's the thing. Okay. I just thought of something when you said that, I thought it's not just us not being around physically, but even energetically, you can just sense that we're kind of hovering or we're observing, Ooh, were they going, doing something with them? They're not doing it to this person. Do they like this person? And totally like, we're just like that. out of the mix. And so they can just like be themselves, you know? And, and it's interesting because Julia, my middle one and Jessica, my stepdaughter are more alike and they're actually not not close, but they're just not very close. And Julia and Thomas, my stepson and my daughter, um, are so much alike. And we just traveled with them when we were in Portugal and, and they got along so great. She's thinking about moving from Arizona to Florida to be by him, to be closer to him. And I think it's because we're not around. Yeah. Well, we're it's like your a, podcast. Not there. You said they can be more of themselves. Well, look at how yeah. their life is flourishing as they become more of them. Like be you. Yeah, for sure. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And and, they, and here's the other sort of ice. I say icing on the cake a lot. I listened to two of my episodes recently. I'm like, I said that like five times in each episode. <laughs> I should make a t-shirt that says that I'm the icing on the cake. <laughs> um, so the icing on this cake that I would say the secret ingredient when you say, did something shift? I just thought of something. Something did. Rocco. Mm. We had a surprise grandchild. My 20-year-old daughter... Um, and she's very open about this and has spoken about it publicly and on podcasts. So I have full permission to say this, but she was, you know, doing drugs and on a path that was very dangerous, very dangerous and very scary for us. And she got pregnant and she, we moved her home. We told her that we would raise the baby with her. The dad skipped town and Rocco, little Rocco is his name. He's turning four November 5th. Um, he's like the glue. Cause if you think about it, I've got my three. My husband ha- husband has his two. Even though Rocco genetically came through my side, there's everybody. Rocco's everybody's. Uh-huh. Everybody loves Rocco and Rocco loves everybody the same. He doesn't see the step. 
He doesn't see the blending. We're just his family. And so he is the one that we all bond over. I just realized that we bond over him. We talk about him. We share pictures of him. Everyone loves him as much as the other person. And I believe that that was a beautiful gift, you know, to have him come into our family because you both know, because you're such good friends of mine. I desperately wanted a child with my husband. I begged him and begged him and begged him for about three, four years. It almost broke us up. Yeah. Even though we said the skate patch was 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 sealed, I was kind of unseal it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have a thing that can like unweld that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and, um, I'm glad you brought up the hatch because you guys made a huge impact on Kelly and I one particular time we were having dinner together when you said like we welded the hatch shut. And there are times we test how well that's welded. Like we do test how how firmly that shuts, but we don't, it's yeah, not... And- it's not an option. And we came home from that dinner and made a commitment to each other. I don't know if you guys even know this, but like, we were like, we need to weld the hatch because we had Mm -hmm. been saying shitty things, you know, like me even making divorce jokes, you know, and jokes, jokes are not funny. Like that's not something you should ever do in a blended family in a second marriage is like, oh, my wife will divorce me over that. Or my, like, that's also preluding to where you kind of think this is headed. And so, yeah, we welded the hatch shut when we were in Sacramento and uh, and that was a huge turning point for us. So thank you guys. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and I'm happy for you. Um, you know, it's interesting when you talk about that. Um, my husband and I didn't joke about divorce. We would actually say it in arguments, which is even worse. Like we would say things like, you know what? Why are we even doing this? Yeah, we did Why too. are we even doing it? Like, why are we even doing this? We don't have to do this. Yeah. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, we would like hint. And or we can't go on this way forever. Eventually, this is going to, yes. like, that's what we would say lots of too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then we decided we will never, ever, ever say that again. We were essentially hinting and almost like using the word divorce as a weapon. Yeah. Like, almost like threatening it. And I would say things like, honey, I did just fine on my own. I do not need you. Oh, me too. I mean, you're great, but I do not need you. Yeah. You know, and he's like, same. You know, yeah. and now and it comes from a place of insecurity, that. right? Like you're desperately scared that the person's going to leave you. So if you say it first, then it gives you this false sense of, well, I already said it. So I, I'm not as embarrassed. I'm not as ashamed. If they divorce me, I have some leverage because I said it was coming. I think that's where it comes from. It's not a place of, I want a divorce. No, you are desperately afraid that they've seen the real raw version of you. You've given them a knife and a map to your heart and asked them not to use it. And you're just- A knife and a map. Oh, that's good. Right. Andy told me that once. I'm like, it's so true. That's what you do with a spouse, right? You show them all your wounds and say, please don't hurt me in these wounds. And ultimately we do. It's our friend, Bonnie. She, the Bonnie-isms, because it's, it really, that's the- level of vulnerability, especially when you're in a new relationship after you've been divorced and you've had heartbreak and you've had to grieve the life you thought you'd you'd live. There's this whole element of stepping out in vulnerability in a whole new way. Well, and we could take this into, you could do a whole different, and actually I would recommend you doing another episode of what I'm getting ready to say, because it would be hours of this, but think about this. With me, it wasn't that I was afraid I was gonna, he was going to leave me. I think he's that that was his fear with me. Do you know what mine was, Michelle? Hmm. I, my nervous system was not comfortable being out of chaos. 
Uh, my nervous system needed chaos to function. My nervous system, I, I had only known heartbreak and chaos and drama and codependency and all that. So when everything was just like chill and I had this loyal, <laughs> laid back, because TK isn't fiery like me at all. I'm married to the cross between a Labrador retriever and a golden retriever. <laughs> and I'm telling you, and I'm like a fucking pit bull, pit bull Rottweiler mix. <laughs> And so literally, like, I woke up and he's like, good morning, good morning, good morning. What are you doing today? What do you have going on today? My phone rings. What are you doing? I'll say, hey, what's up? Oh, I'm just calling you. I'm on my way home. I'm like, okay, well, then I'll see you when you get here. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're so different. But for me, what I realized through that deep work that I did, it was very painful to recognize this, is that I was secretly sabotaging and throwing bombs and daggers into our relationship because I needed to feel alive. I needed it to feel normal to me. My whole childhood and my whole first marriage was that way. And so it had to be fiery and it had to be arguments and it had to be something negative because I didn't know how to function. So what was the job? It's always an inside job. I couldn't change anything if I didn't change myself. I went really deep into my shadow and I realized that I, my little girl needed all kinds of love and attention and all kinds of work I did. So that then I was able to rest into myself, be in my body, be present. My nervous system was not always regulated because that's not the goal, but would come in and out of, you know, hypervigilance and back. And I could just like rest into myself and I had solace and safety in me. So then I felt solace and safety all the time, no matter what, no matter what relationship I'm in, no matter what situation I'm in. And that truly, I'm going to say, I'm not taking credit because I want to take credit, but but that really did save our marriage because at the same time, I was messing up our marriage. Yeah. I can relate on many levels to that because having married an alcoholic, it was very dramatic and very weirdly exciting. Not that you would ever consciously choose that, but it is very up and down and there's always something keeping it fresh. You're always making up and getting over an argument or... I don't know. There's just, you're right. And when I met Kelly and he was just so willing to love me on a level that I probably didn't even allow myself to love me. So I was Mm. like, uh, no, (laughs) that makes me uncomfortable. You know, am I really that lovable? I mean, you're right. We need to do a whole episode on this because that that's the work. That's the fourth thing. Like you said, I said it was, you know, setting the boundaries, but really like it is the whole, um, personal growth, working on yourself. Yeah. Doing the work. And, and another episode, you and I were both 100% in our masculine mm-hmm. because we needed to be in our previous relationships. And then we marry these masculine men. We're like, F that. You can't have two men in the relationship. It's not going to work. Right? And so yes. we had to soften into our feminine and step back and surrender and let them be in their masculine or else it would have imploded. Yeah. Kelly said that all and the that, time. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a great episode because I was like, screw that. I thought being in your feminine was like being submissive and, you know, like never making any decisions and him deciding everything. And no, not at all. But I am, I am so fully in my feminine now. And he is, has stepped up so much in ways that he couldn't because I didn't allow it. He leads in ways that he never did before. And that also, I think has been a great reason why our blended family has thrived even more in the past, like couple of years, two years, especially the last year. If I'm, it's actually coming to me as I'm talking to you because every family needs that polarity in the parents. 
Whether it's a same-sex relationship or not, there has to be polarity. There has to be one that's more of the leader of the household, even though even though you're co-parenting and 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 both as important as the other and and respected as the other. And our family is thriving because TK has been able to step up into that. And I talk about that with the kids. I'll say you know, things like, you know, because I always wanted to get credit for everything. I always had to have credit for everything. I always had to, you know, and I now I like, I love saying to them, you know, um, let's see what TK says. Let's ask what TK thinks. Um, I have to, I have to ask TK what he thinks first. And I'll say things like, we're so lucky to have him and he's the rock of our family. You know, he's the one who stabilizes all of us and holds us. And, and it's true. And I'm also making it more true the more I say that. So he's been able to really step into that more, which has allowed me to like go up and be that helium balloon. And he's like the weight, yeah, which goes to the marriage, but also goes to the family. Yeah. Right. They see that. So good. There's so much, and I know everyone listening have gotten so much from it. And you have practiced stepping into yourself and being unapologetically you. Now, someone who's listening and maybe they're starting to blend their family and they're just learning how to listen to their needs, what what would be a couple things that you would pass on to them for them to even get clear about what they, the intention they'd want around their family or, you know, what would be some beginner steps that they could take towards creating this for themselves? Mm, Thank you. Okay. So I would say besides the three points of setting an intention for, for the family and really taking that seriously, committed to committing to communication and committing to fully surrendering and loving what is besides putting a uh, you know, loving, healthy boundaries around your marriage and around the whole family unit, right? And besides doing the inner work, I would say on top of that, I would say to start off, um, that, that's a lot, right? <laughs> but I mean, to start off like little baby steps would be um, making sure that you are doing the work in and on and through yourself, and not ever looking outward at the kids or the spouse about the work they need to do. Like until you have looked at everything in yourself, don't even look at the other person because it's it's a way to avoid and evade what really needs to be healed and wants to be taken care of in you. And it's a it's a, I'm telling you it's a it's interference, it's a distraction. It's a complete distraction. It feels good and it's 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 addictive. But if you could day one, take a baby step and say, you know what? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not looking at myself because I messed up and need to fix me. I'm not a personal development project, but I'm going to look at myself and say, what wants to be healed? What wants to be loved? What part of me? Maybe do some inner child work. You can Google everything, like Google inner child work. Um, I'm going to plug our coaches. I mean, if you don't want to spend the money to work with them, follow them. Christine Hassler, um, if you could put a link in the show notes, that'd be great. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E Hassler, H-A-S-S-L-E-R. And then Steph Stefanos, um, Stefanos with F S T E F A N O S. Um, just following them on Instagram. Seriously, just that alone and listening to her podcast, you'll gain so much about how important it is to look at yourself but not in the way I used to look at myself. It's not the old personal development, masculine approach, fix your shit. No, it's the very soft looking at what wants to be healed, what wants to be loved. Learning how to love all parts of you will allow you to learn all love all parts of the partner. Yeah. If you learn how to love all parts of you, you'll be able to love all parts of the stepchildren and of your children. 
And if you learn to love all parts of you, you'll be able to love all parts of the ex-spouse and anything that goes along with that. It all starts with you. Wow, that's so good. Okay, so we end every podcast. You know that our company name is called Liberated and our website is She is Liberated. And I just want to, what do you think of, what qualities do you think she embodies when you hear, wow, she is liberated? Mm. Of course, the first word that comes to me is free, but I swear I'm not saying this to plug my podcast, but the first thing that came to me is she's liberated when she feels free to be herself. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. You guys have to go follow and listen to Jill's podcast. It's incredible. She is so raw and so real, as you've heard in this episode, and you're going to get so much deeper look at everything. I mean, she has incredible guests on. She really goes into her story in more depth. Like there's so many great episodes. Jill, thank you so much for being here. Like I look Mm -hmm. up to and respect you so much, and I'm so honored to have you on our podcast and have you share your heart with our listeners. So grateful for you, my friend. Oh, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it so much. And I love you both so much. And I also look up to you. You know that. And I'm really, really proud of you for making another pivot and following (laughs) your hearts and doing another amazing launch. I mean, you've had successful businesses. um, We'll still have successful businesses that are thriving now. But I've seen you also break out of those cages and liberate yourselves. You're not just talking a big game saying, we're going to help liberate people. Like you've done this before. And I'm I'm so excited you're doing the podcast. As I told you, you'll reach so many people that would never know who you are otherwise. So I would recommend to the listener um, to please, please, please share the episodes. Um, Just text, like when you listen to an episode, instead of telling people about a podcast, text the actual episode to even just one person, even if it's just one person and say, this is why I loved the episode. That's how their podcast is going to grow. It's not going to grow through social media. It's going to go through the listeners saying, hey, I recommend this show for you or this episode for you. Um, I know how much you both have to offer. I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely excited about listening. I'm genuinely excited about promoting your podcast. And I was just thinking we should have you two on because Michelle's been on, but we should have the two of you on together. Oh, I love it. And, and let's do that. And we'll talk about, oh my gosh, we'll get into all the stuff that 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 I used to be afraid to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Oh, let's do it. Thank you right. so Thanks much. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Jill. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. If something in this episode resonated with you, we'd be so grateful if you sent it to a friend. Just copy the link and text it to them with a sentence about why they'd love it. Thank you for taking the time to do that. It seriously means so much to us and really helps us to spread all the love and light. Don't forget to subscribe so we can hang out next episode. Until then, so proud of you on your quest for freedom.